This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The young shining cuckoo is fed by its foster parents on insects and spiders. But the korimako, or bellbird, has a much more interesting diet of nectar. It's been something of a radio personality and has sung on shortwave radio to Australia and the Pacific nations for 30 years. However, the early recordings failed to reflect the versatility of the bellbird, with its wide variety of liquid notes and artistically placed clicks and bell-like sounds. It's not surprising that Maori mythology describes Korimako, the bellbird, as the messenger of Tane, sent to herald the coming of the sun. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good day, friends. Welcome to Community or Chaos. Today we have as our honoured guest, David Eagleton, the New Zealand Poet Laureate. And welcome to Community or Chaos, David. Good morning. You can podcast us by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and then going to Community or Chaos. David, um, what was your reaction when you first heard you were made Poet Laureate of New Zealand? Uh, Well, uh, obviously, it was one of surprise. I had totally no idea that this was going to happen. It came out of the blue. Uh, I got a phone call from the... Uh, National Library from the um, librarian uh, in charge of the uh, Turnbull, uh, Chris Zelsky, and um, it was a, a late on a on a Sunday uh, on a Sunday afternoon, and he um, he uh, d- d- invited me to become poet laureate, and I accepted. Uh, so um, I mean, really, the the honour is 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 as much for poetry as it is for myself. It's a a role which I have for. Um, three years, and then it's handed on to someone else. And during the time that I have the role, um, I am to advocate for poetry uh, in in all ways possible, um, to appear at um, festivals and to travel the country, basically leading the big parade for poetry um, during my time, during my tenure. Um, And it's been, of course, quite a hectic uh, whirlwind time that I've actually been Poet Laureate because shortly after I was appointed, the pandemic um, turned up, so um, I've basically become the pandemic poet laureate, um, and uh, it, it even it's even continuing into this year. And my term actually um, ends in um, August uh, 2022. And um, as I say, it's been a quite a hectic whirlwind time, and I've um, the the I've very much enjoyed my role. The only part of the role I haven't really been able to fulfil is actually travelling overseas to become uh, a sort of a cultural ambassador for New Zealand poetry um, and literary festivals internationally. Um, so that's been mostly been a matter of Zoom meetings and so forth. So, But apart from that, um, it's been a fantastic um, time for me. Okay. Could you tell us a bit about your early life and upbringing and, what, and were books part of your early life? I... Um, 
grew up uh, between, uh, well, I grew up in, in Fiji and also in South Auckland, and books were um, something I really came across at school. Um, uh, I was, um, as, a, as, a, as a child, I was um, drawn to reading and um, and I was sort of uh, read to um, by parents and I, I learned nursery rhymes and um, I think I think it was a fairly average um, kind of childhood from that point of view. But um, it was really later on that I began to um, become obsessed or, or stay really interested in language and stay really interested in what you could do with words. And um, and uh, so more of intermediate school and, and in my first early years of secondary school, I uh, started to read more closely just poetry, especially if you've got poets like Dylan Thomas. Um, I was interested in Hone Tufare and other New Zealand poets, James K. Baxter, um, and all these different poets um, were sort of figures I, I kind of uh, related to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the, the so overseas poets like W.H. Auden and, um, and Dylan Thomas were kind of interesting because, to me because of their language, the amazing things they could do with words. And then I was also listening to the radio, um, the top 20, um, and uh, I, I was growing up at a time when uh, pop music was um, was uh, on the radio all the time, and um, and just listening to that and the lyrics um, that was very inspirational. So I had a, a sort of ambition to become a, a ly- rock lyricist for a while, and um, and kind of went along with that. <coughs> and so, really, it's just been a matter of um, following my 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 instincts towards towards. Um, Use of words and crafting, crafting lyrics and crafting poems, um, and and con- continuing with that ever, ever since. Well, <coughs> when do you write your first poem? My first poem, uh, I I forget, but I uh, I did I do remember having <laughs> poems in the school magazine when I was in the third form. And what were your first poems about, David? Um, I think well. Um, I remember the the they were sort of about. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I remember one that goes: um, "Sunny day rain dribbles me groundward." Um, so it was kind of a, a bit of a nonsense poem. It was sort of about the weather, um, and um, I also had wrote a poem um, about protesting against the Vietnam War. I think it was, um, and it was. Uh, I think it was a description of some some incident I'd seen. Um, in the newspaper about um, uh, the uh, American troops and um, atrocities. Um, and it, was, uh, it wasn't a direct, it was sort of an oblique, um, an oblique poem about um, bloodshed. Um, and uh, it's, it's actually on the tip of my tongue, but I can't quite, can't quite get it now. It's, it was to do with rust and the idea that... Um, that photos were stained with with a kind of a rust, black and white photos with with sort of this um, kind of uh, blood thing. It was a sort of a, a, a very figurative way of trying to talk about bloodshed. Um, and so, uh, very early on, I was interested in the idea of social justice in poetry, the idea that you could use poems to protest. Um, and of course, at that time, the protest movement was very big in New Zealand, the uh, late sixties, early seventies. So. Um, I was uh, kind of drawn into that at that time as well. We have something in common. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, 
Was it the use of words that really your first attracted you to the poetry? I think um, that uh, rhyme, rhythm, I enjoyed that. Um, listening to uh, the Beatles, um, things like Eleanor Rigby, I was amazed by just mm. how how uh, atmospheric that song was um, in particular, but the other songs that the Beatles did around that time um, on their Revolver album. Um, and uh, I just enjoyed the, the kind of whole psychedelic era, I suppose, but, uh, and what you could do with words and, and, and uh, the sort of surreal poetry um, the, that they were coming up with um, in that kind of um, era. So um, for me at, at high school, that was a, a very um, formative time in terms of how I approach poetry. Um, and so, yeah, just listening to the radio, really, uh, in the morning before I went to school, um, listening to the songs. And um, then I I kind of, at, at school, we were taught um, poetry, um, by uh, poems by, um, the, the, we were taught the poetry of Gerard Manley Hopkins, of um, T.S. Eliot, um, and um, those two poets in particular were very powerful. I was reading in my own time the poetry of Gunter Grass, who was writing anti-war poems. Um, and so uh, I, that, they, were, they were, I guess they were the formative influences. That's what made me want to write poetry. Um, and also being aware of James K. Baxter and Tufari. Um, Sam Hunt was also wandering around the place at that time and uh, he was involved with a magazine which we had at our school. Um, I forget what it was called, but it was a sort of a free giveaway that featured poetry, and, and he was talking about poetry in that magazine. And so it was a, sort of something in the air. It was in the atmosphere. Um, my, a lot of my friends were were dabbling with um, creative writing, um, and uh, um, sort of forming bands. And uh, I was I was a vocalist in a band at high school for a while. Um, and so they were kind of just, but they were kind of activities we were trying out things so the, the the band never went anywhere but we we just used mm. practice and uh and so i, I got the the hankering to be a performer i think back then as well um uh and uh, sort of just follow that through so um you know that was that was years and years ago um and i think the other thing that's been stickability and persistence and just staying with my uh, fascination and interest in language and, and what you can do with poetry to communicate. Um, and yeah, I was interested in people like, as I think of it now, the Liverpool poets, um, Adrian Henry and uh, Roger McGuff, Brian Patton. There were lots of them. That, um, you just had to sort of turn up at the poetry section of the local bookshop or, or um, uh, there was uh, progressive books in, in, uh, in Auckland and Queen Street. I used to get the bus and then go down town and, and uh, look, look through all the bookshops and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it was it was more of an education that I got through my on my own account than I did actually. I think in the end, um, at, at high school. Just, you, when you mention rhythm in poetry, I, I thought of something that's probably I'm not a, sure it fits. But did you ever listen to any speeches by Martin Luther King, or did you listen to jazz at all? Um, no, but um, I did listen to a lot of preaching um, at uh, my church. Um, so so uh, we did uh, go to uh, um, uh, an island-style church in, in uh, Fiji and also uh, in New Zealand briefly. Um, but there, it was uh, it was sort of cadences of uh, the hymn singing and and also the way the preacher would talk uh, talk would quote from the Bible and use the Bible. 
Um, in fact, uh, my mother was uh, uh, was religious and uh, sent us to a variety of different um, sort of Sunday schools and uh, places we on Sunday where we would uh, imbibe Christianity. But um, for me, it was all about the the St James Bible and and the, and the sort of gorgeous language that that. Uh, um, that just sort of talking about, you know, from the Gospels and also from the Old Testament. Um, but uh, with the rhythm, these rhythms and phrasings um, from the from the sort of around the time of Shakespeare still being used, uh, and was like was like that was another another very powerful influence on me as a as a as a poet. How do you feel that poetry is shaped by society and? Does society help shape, I mean, and, and does poetry help shape society? Well, uh, um, there are lots of arguments about this. I mean, it was, um, you know, it was W.H. Auden said poetry makes nothing happen. But on the other hand, he also wrote some of the most influential and um, poems of the 1930s in terms of um, resisting um, the Nazis and Hitler and, and the rise of fascism at that time. So uh, I think poetry is a paradoxical medium where, where you you write poems for peace, but um, some people seize on them as um, you know and use them as banners and slogans. They take phrases and and sort of um, turn them turn poetry into. Uh, I mean uh, the um, the president of Bosnia, Slobodan Milosevic, I think was no, was it no it was Rajan Karadzic was a noted poet. Um, Saddam Hussein wrote poetry. Um, and various other dictators uh, um, have uh, dabbled with poetry. So it's uh, <laughs> poetry can be used for either, um, uh, you know, for, for all kinds of purposes. And um, and the power of poetry, the power of words, and the the the, the status and the significance in a society uh, is uh, unquestionable. And um, we uh, um, have had some very very good speakers who kind of uh, use poetic cadences. Think of David Longy in particular, but also Rob, Robert Muldoon um, had a certain sort of ability with a phrase, uh, and even uh, Holyoke and um, and uh, before him there were various other politicians, John A. Lee, um, and so poetry is is there as part of the part of a means of communication in the society. Um, the individual poet um, can make a difference with with poems. Um, I remember Hone Tufari's great poem. Um, no ordinary son. No ordinary son, for example, being taken up by the um, the uh, CND movement, the anti uh, nuclear, um, no no nuclear testing in South Africa, and that kind of thing. So, um, um, and also, you know, bands like Herbs with their song lyrics. So, you know, poetry is definitely there. Sometimes it 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 gets commandeered by other groups, special interest groups, um, and it's said that you know that what we write is poetry. So you've had various movements, I would call them formalist poetry movements, which say what you other people write isn't really poetry. We <laughs> we write the one true poetry. So it's, it's, it's kind of a contentious area where different groups are trying to stake their claim for what poetry is, and that goes on even today. Uh, I once I'm, took a poetry yeah. class. What's and that? I, was told, I was, once took a poetry class and I was told I couldn't write about religion or politics. There you are. Um, of course you can. Um, <laughs> what can you write about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, no, no, I'm I'm a great believer in in, in the ecumenical um, broad church approach to poetry. That all all forms of writing that someone thinks um, have validity of poetry should be considered that. 
Um, and then it's about the power, the, the energy, the energy of the poem, the energy of the line um, to communicate and how well it works within its own terms. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious about what other poets. People like Hone Tafari and yourself have actually made poetry more popular in New Zealand than, well, for instance, than in most of America. Um, yeah, well, I think there's a very strong tradition of poetry. If you, I often, I often um, get, or I have had comments from people overseas saying, gosh, you have a lot of poets here in New Zealand. And I think it's true that we do produce, we do write very good poems and we, we have a very strong tradition from Alan Kurnow, R.A.K. Mason, James K. Baxter, Hone Tufari, um, Sam Hunt, uh, myself, and, and a number of other poets around even now. Uh, um, and the, uh, sort of the younger woman poets are certainly... Um, pathfinding leading the way at the moment um and here in Dunedin we have um people like Les Brislin and um Les Brislin and um and um um uh Emma Neal um and Sue Wooten and um many many others who um are doing amazing things in poetry so um it's a medium that you can it's 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 a fantastically malleable uh, and molten and fluid and you can sort of take take poetry writing in, in all kinds of directions. It's really up to you. And I like the sort of freedom of that. Some people might see it as a bit anarchic. The fact that um, who determines what a poem is is often uh, sort of up to the individual. So um, how, how it affects them. Um, and there are also craft elements. Obviously, um, the more crafted a poem is in terms of what it's seeking to express, I think the better. Um, but I don't agree that a poem has to be formal, formally correct in order to 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 be called a, a proper poem. Can you read some of your poems? We're talking, by the way, with uh, David Eagleton, the New Zealand poet laureate, um, and we're going to hear some of his poems shortly. Sure. I, I'm just uh, looking through um, a, a, my sheaf of poems to see what might... Um, I'll start with this with this poem called uh, "The Collective," um, which is basically just an idea playing around with what do you call a group of poets? The collective, a bevy of poets, a brood of poets, a murmuration of poets, a flutter of poets, a bouquet of poets, a lamentation of poets, a sloth of poets, a dither of poets, an expostulation of poets an ambush of poets, a zeal of poets, a congregation of poets, a drift of poets, a cackle of poets, a contention of poets, a charm of poets, a wisdom of poets, an ostentation of poets, an abomination of critics. <laughs> uh, that's our list poem. This is this relates to a conversation earlier about the idea of protest. Um, I was asked to contribute some poems to a, a new peace anthology being put out uh, by a by a um, Arab poet based in um, in Dubai, and it's a world anthology of poems um, which he is bringing out very very soon. But my contrib contribution, which he accepted, was this very short poem called "Protest." Jolts and ruckus. Lamb-based swarms and hives, ant trails wave placards of fear and anger at whatever's out there that doesn't care but looks on with the languor of big cats 
lifting a paw, the smears are human tears. That, those are poems and observation we actually wrote in response to Convoy 2022. Um, the idea and the, the anti-vax protests, the fact that um, though I personally do not agree with the, their stance, um, they have the right in this country to protest and, and to, to um, you know, to hold their beliefs and to, uh, and to um, head out on the road and, and so forth. Um, and um, and we, we permit that in, within our society because we live in a liberal society. But, but at the same time, um, I, I, you know, it, it's it, it, they, they, it's a, it's a it's a contentious issue. But it is it is kind of a paradoxical thing where we we celebrate freedom even though we do not necessarily agree with with the other person's point of view, and that that's something that poems can can comment on. Um, I, my my third poem, which is a um, a a, um, a a poem that. Um, is about is uh, I'm, I'm I'm actually I'm hesitant because it's it's a bit of a long poem. That's fine. Um, okay. uh, I, I I I might I I might um, sort of excerpt it um, because it, it it does go on a bit. Um, but um, it's a, a poem called uh, "Poem for Waitangi Day," and I wrote it. Um, a few weeks ago. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll begin and see how we get on. So it's right into sections. It's, it's poem for Waitangi Day. It appears on the poet, poet, Poets blog. The New Zealand Poet Laureate has a blog, which is administered by the National Library. And it's, um, it, it's uh, you can be found, if you Google it, um, the uh, New Zealand Poet Laureate blog. The most recent poem is this, a poem for Waitangi Day, which I wrote in January. From the void, te kore, seven kinds of light. First glowworm glimmer, then pale gleams. Next a dim aura, the stars grow fainter. As Papatuanuku separates from Ranganui, pale beams follow before summer's bright, bright clarity emerges. And down in the gully, we walk out into the sun, crossing the creek as if time has just begun. We wave charms and amulets, horoscopes and horticultural guides to best brands to buy, for Generation XY, Generation Alibi, all in this walker together, bombarded by small pieces of pumice and scoria, so emotionally invested in Kiwiland's avatar, where we the people, we the sheeple, we the peeps, we the perps, we the fraudsters, we the treaty honouring, dwell and dwell, on a happening turned into an awakening, can't hongi with the poets, just elbow bump at a hungi for the queen. Lower masks, rub noses and tipple a snifter of Bailey's Irish cream. Bring home ashes and a trim hessian bag. Those lately gone to the realm of Hune Nue Te Po. The manes of white-haired New Zealanders nod sagely like toy-toy plumes in the breeze. The CEO's a paladin who just lost his rag. A prince of millionaires with a Hearn Bay helipad. Plenty of bottom end to go around the bend. A magistrate's gravelly speech throws the rule book in a straight line as Southern Rata and Puhutakawa paint the Fanua red. Place names vanish to be replaced by brand new ancient dreams when the motu turns over in its sleep and rumbles and steams. Root vegetables bake delicious in a dish. I speak of the potato and the kumara. 
commended souls do eye rolls. The festive season has its reasons. The dire wolf bears its teeth to express grief. Puddles exclaim with pelting rain. Myriads, tones of voice let rip to the muffled hills as one song. Through the car windows quarter light, the rubble of jaded intellects is landslip. If this be doomsday, it is not in jest. Isolation with the hard borders of lockdown declares the importance of being earnest. Here come the clouds, how vapid they are, as if texting each other with sun emojis or pursuing futile chases that dissolve into future expanses of climate change. The lazy wind gives a farewell wave and dies. A tsunami rolls and rolls, far out as a January day, foamy as a car wash. Beneath the calm surface of bland quivers a passive-aggressive possessive that whips out like a lizard's tongue to drag home its target like a wrapped-up fly. Silly old fossil fuels flow from Noah's flood. There's reverence and sublimation in hydroelectric structures. Will the, never, will the weather never get green? It's going to be a flyby of better loyalty cards through blue skies from now on and a free Sweetwater's concert in every rest home. There's a convenient convenience store, but no public convenience to be seen. There's abject poverty up there on the screen, but it's quickly covered by a request to recycle your plastic dreams of prepackaged lunch deals and bank loan schemes. Shoegazers on TV denounce single use. Low tolerance levels are expected to increase. Seals flip and glide and swim in shore. The sacred nature of power, spit of oyster spatter, smelt blaze and the tag of string flutter. Starred wire fences cut across contours, the falling folds of the bush line, uh, petticoats of green crinoline, musculature of rugged ranges, coloratura of operatic tui, chaffing of chaffinches, beady wax eyes that cluster in view, a rumour of rosellas, a squabble of sparrows, flipped vortex of a spinning top, lawn rolled up like a carpet and flung on a truck. This punamu that dwells in a tapu pool to be prized and appraised anew as a stoned head bends and lends an ear while Mal rebuffs the translucent inanga, brisk claw and scrape of a twig by a kaka, kireru going for it, a reddish berry, with bunt and swoosh, sow and shush. A supply chain strains around the massive neck of a kauri tree and talismans are token in this 100% pure Arcady, the Lord knows where, between shade and azure. It is in semblance a looking-glass land, a solid gold golf ball whacked into the gulf, mothland, moonland, sheerland, glanland, whose North Island might checkmate South Island and take his pawn Stuart Island, the poor knights, the great and little barrier bishops in the game of crown and anchor, and let the glacial attitudes of the Pākehā melt like snow creatures or ice crystals in the eerie green fairy mist of Batu Pai Arehe amid chants of Atua, then bring out the chart of Te Tiri o Waitanga, sorry, of Te Tiriti o Waitangi, document stained with blood and squid ink. A flying canoe ghostly in the sky paddles over the whole fished-up archipelago, guided by Coupe, whose pointing finger shines with shark oil as stars rise. Kia kaha, kia mahai, kia manawanui. So that poem is called um, A Poem for Waitangi Day. Oh, that's great. Um, anybody that wants to have a, a look at this in print, they can go to the 
uh, Google New Zealand Poet Laureate, can't they? Yeah, so it was a collection of images that that kind of just uh, were, were uh, I gathered together uh, over 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 a few days and and wanted something to commemorate, you know, this this idea of um, Waitangi Day as a kind of a the symbolic day uh, where we celebrate biculturalism, um, and also our status as one as New Zealanders, um, and uh, and with all the kind of uh, contradictions that are inherent in that at the moment, I'm just trying to get a sense of that. Well, I don't think it was too long. Uh, um, uh, yeah, it was. I think. Yeah, I like to think that a poem is as long as it needs to be to, to yeah. say what it needs to say. Uh, you know, uh, and that's that's what uh, that's my approach. Um, yeah. But I, I so I write all sorts of poems. Some are very short, and some are very long. So uh, um, I, I'll talk uh, to talk a little bit about um, the fact that as 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 poet laureate, um, you 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 get to be poet laureate after you've won a few awards. Really, it's sort of a a kind of a culmination. And then uh, if I began as a sort of anti-establishment poet writing poems. Uh, very left of centre, very, very um, way out on the margins. I've gradually moved towards or become more accepted as uh, over the years um, and still really kept writing these kinds of protest poems. Um, but now they are sort of uh, from within um, my, uh, my elevator position um, as a, an official um, poet of the nation. Um, and so I felt with that poem, I tried to cover all the angles where where um, I mean even you know we're all kind of caught up in this anarchic moment which the pandemic has brought us uh, and w- which all our on all, uh, all our normal thoughts about global all, all what we've been told about globalization is sort of under strain and stress um, that globalization is a good thing and yet here we are we're getting we're getting a shortage of materials we're getting a, a sort of a um, we're getting a, a kind of a, these, this, this worldwide infection from uh, from mass jet travel and so forth um, has kind of caused this, uh, you know, place these amazing stresses. Um, uh, and uh, um, the the idea that container ships flow on the river around the globe, bringing bringing bring stuff on a regular basis to to New Zealand from from all parts of the world. Well, we saw with Ever Given um, blocking the Suez Canal. Last year, uh, causing a backup of um, containers, ships, uh, and kind of um, part of this whole whole fragile, fragile um, sort of system that we have. Um, and so, uh, as a poet, I like to sort of talk about talk about the the state of the world. Um, and and uh, as I mentioned earlier, W. H. Auden did it. Winston Auden, um, the, the great British poet, wrote in the nineteen thirties about that kind of thing. Robert Lowell. Um, was an anti-protesting, uh, was a protesting part against the Vietnam War in the 60s, along with uh, Allen Ginsberg. Um, and, uh, of course, um, at that time, uh, America was the dominant uh, world power. It was um, very aggressively uh, focused on communism. Uh, and then um, in, the, in the 80s, we, we had uh, uh, the, the shift to the collapse of communism, the collapse of, uh, of the USSR and... Um, and uh, and so forth. So, so we, we now live in a, in a, in a different, in a different world. And I, um, and I, I've tried to like comment on in my poetry on, on the changes that I've observed um, in my a lifetime um, going on. Um, this is by way of preamble to get to a poem called uh, "United States Flag," which I wrote 
in uh, Hawaii. In um, 2018, I was invited to um, spend two, two and a half months um, at the University of Manoa in, in Honolulu. Um, and uh, um, and uh, part of my um, brief while I was there to, was to, to uh, write a, a small group of poems which were uh, recently published um, in, a, in a chapbook by the uh, by the National Library here in New Zealand. Um, but um, while I was in the while I was in in the um, in Hawaii, uh, I sort of noticed how different, um, in a way, the society is. But also, also the power of this icon, which I saw everywhere, which was the uh, United States flag. And so, uh, I'll read this poem called. Um, United States flag, Hawaii. Power of the flag in the wind, wrapped around itself, shaken, free, and rippled out again, charging along on air, electric. American antlers, American war bonnets, American smoke signals, a butchered carcass, then thousands more, what a cacophony. Metallic cries, raucous vibes, red poles, once below a time when your mind is flat and you've retired exhausted from all avenues, ask yourself, why learn history when my phone does that for me? I am the dark backward abysm. I am a form of extreme conservatism. I am the boulevard nobody knows. I smell not of a rose as a rose as a rose, but of sick and bitter residues of the sea. So that poem is partly about um, the Trump administration, the fact that the United States was going through a dark time in 2018 um, with all the, the various push, the rolling, rolling back of various freedoms that the American people had. Um, and in fact, when I was at the University of Manoa, I did notice that they'd been starved of funding for quite a long time. So they had this rather glorious campus, which is looking very decrepit and run down um, uh, because it, it hadn't had, its funding had been cut progressively. Um, some time, and so the, these these amazing buildings of the 70s and 80s um, were now uh, looking very shabby, um, and yet um, you also have this huge argument going on between those who supported the Republicans and Trump, and those who 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 didn't, who, who were sort of Democrats, and there's kind of these tensions, which are still there in that society, um, and so so I suppose I see myself as a New Zealand poet. But that if I lived somewhere else, I'd probably be writing similar kinds of poems. It's sort of a, an attitude thing where um, I, I have uh, a, um, a kind of an anti-authoritarian streak or a belief that a poet's, jo a poet's job is to talk about um, the, the the flaws and the and the um, you know the various um, structural inequalities in the society. Um, so I do see politics as, as being a very important part of my poetry and a political point of view. Um, and so what fascinates me about the present moment is the fact that the old right, the, um, the extreme um, right wing uh, edge is taking, taking, taking almost um, control of the narrative in terms of uh, co-opting all these protest symbols um, and co-opting, for example, the, the anti-vax demonstration, the um, anti-vax ma mandate demonstration in um, Wellington and also here in the Octagon um, and kind of and try to rewrite re it so that it's all about, uh, you know, um, executing politicians and things, all these extremist, extreme theatrical statements that they're making uh, in order to hold people's attention. 
and to to advance their particular agenda. So what they're doing is they're sort of, as I said before, co-opting the, the, the whole protest movement narrative of, the, of New Zealand of the 1970s and 80s um, and, and using it for, for uh, their own end. So um, that's, that's, that's a fascination because it does tend to destabilise um, our, our points of view and our ways of um, communicating with one another. And uh, at the moment, we're in, we are in this impasse. They haven't uh, managed to progress this very far, but it's certainly there as a noticeable phenomenon. Um, and so this is what concerns me at the moment is this whole idea also of cancellation, can- cancel culture, things like that. So there's lots of topics to write about, I think, feel at the moment. Since you love language, how do you feel about cancellation? Uh, well, it's <laughs> again, it's 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 something that I'm observing um, and wondering about, um, and wondering where it comes from and how how it got here, and and it, it, whether it's a natural outcome of various other forces, and inevitably, it's widespread. Um, it's it's a sort of a, a trigger phenomenon, so anything could set it off. Um, but it tends to be have an avalanche effect, and 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 therefore it suggests that actually small sort of snowball incidents can, can turn into massive avalanches. So um, it, it, it's it's um, it's definitely a turn of the wheel since we had the very uh, the various uh, take the idea of this word freedom. And it means all kinds of things to, to different people. At one time, it was a lot clearer. It was it was a it was against um, oppression. And now, what even what oppression is is is, is debatable. Um, different forms of different forms of oppression. So, cancellation is, is is a kind of a device used by different groups to no platform people to um, denigrate opponents. Um, and you know, so that it's it's something claimed by claimed by so-called the woke generation who have woken up to oppression uh, and then the who are who are who are denigrated by by um conservatives or extreme conservatives radical conservatives shall we say the 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 the, the alt right who 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 refer to them as wokesters and so forth so um and that becomes a term of opprobrium um and so the 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 enlightenment that the the um the young millennials seek with um, with their idealism uh, against, against oppression, it's 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 now become a very murky and complicated, confused area where um, all kinds of all kinds of um, all kinds of voices can be cancelled. No, I, I personally am not in favour of that. I think we should hear people out. But having said that, then you've got to refer back to the way um, these various narratives have been hijacked. So the alt-right will hijack and and sort of lie flat out and use terms like fake news and um, and so forth to to distort and destabilise. Um, and if we don't cancel them, <laughs> uh, it, it, we could be we could be uh, in, in an even more parlous or perilous situation. So so um, in general, though, I'd say I am against um, cancellation. I think we should hear out people's points of view, um, and that. But we must have a must have a few caveats. We must consider the possibility that people will, will manipulate and misuse and um, misuse their platforms, and that that is why various individuals have been cancelled coming to New Zealand, of course. Um, so, so what a poem can do is um, is comment obliquely on this state of affairs. It can 
suggest some of the various moods and, and feelings that people have about about in, in these fraught times um, and, and suggest uh, perhaps the and from an ironical point of view um, that we need to be um, we need to allow other people to be heard and 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 to grant them their freedoms but to also be alert to the way that that, that these freedoms might be misused I think we're very fortunate in New Zealand that we have a, a very stable and strong mainstream media so that we know that um, all the misinformation that's flying around is actually coming from offshore. It's being imported mm-hmm. and then disseminated locally, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't begin locally. Um, we we um, we have people who kind of are messengers, uh, and that uh, the actual um, the, the actual messages are being manufactured um, in in other places. So uh, um, that's one thing that sort of bothers me. You've got the technology now to put around misinformation and some people I think feel like if they read a book or if they read it online it must be true and you end up reading the same and the um, online stuff always reinforces what you already think yes um, that echo chamber effect that has, has become notorious where like-minded people clump together and reinforce one another's um, but, value systems. But even um, if you aren't like, if you go to Google and ask for information, and it happens to be, for instance, left-wing information, well, then I get a lot of stuff on which books I should read and so on. They're all from one direction. And it's, they're really interested, either they're interested, the right-wing online, they're really interested in, authoritarian right-wing politics, but also the, the, the Google people are interested in selling you stuff. And so they don't care how true the information is, and they don't care how one side, as long as you buy their stuff. Or, yeah, or they can go to a, that's a good point. an advertiser and say, we got so many clicks, so you've got to pay us money. Yes, yes. Um, this this is something which has really, really come up since the uh, rise of the smartphone around 2008, 2009, um, and it's been accelerating ever since. Um, th- there's no simple answer except, I think, to resist the digital realm to a certain extent or balance it with other sources of information. So we've, we're lucky to have the Otago Daily Times. I mean, it's not a perfect newspaper by any means, but it does have a broad range of views expressed. So it's possible for someone who's in their, a little right-wing bubble to see that there are other points of view being expressed and to think well, possibly they're not, you know, perfectly correct in their way of thinking because here are these other, here are these other narratives playing out and people having these other experiences and and along with that goes this idea of the team of five million, the fact that we're a very small country in which everyone kind of as as knows uh, pretty much everyone else uh, to, to a degree or. Um, so we're all kind of interconnected, and we have a, we share a, we share this common narrative, and so so it's being fractured right now with the with the various um, sort of uh, um, responses to to, uh, to to multiculturalism, um, and, and and there's no doubt there's a lot of stress and, and strain and pressure. Um, but the main thing is to have lots of channel, channels of communication, lots of lots of forms of information um, available to us, and I think we do have that in this country. Uh, and we're not coming back to this idea of clickbait that you mentioned. I think that's profit-driven, 
And so, and so where you have news, which is profit driven, obviously it's all going to be all about emotion and, and uh, getting people to get very angry um, and raising the temperature and, and causing outrage because outrage sells. And so uh, the, the, the more, more counterbalances we have in the form of other forms of media, which are not, not subject to, to the profit motive, the better. And that's what we have here. I think that's one reason why America is in, in such difficulty is because all of its um, activities are driven by the profit motive. It's a very free market society. Um, we have aspects of that here, obviously. And uh, overseas, like the UK, which used to be a model of, um, of independent um, thinking and, and have, had all these various kinds of critics um, speaking out, um, helping the society to monitor itself, but they all seem to be under under a lot of strain, a lot of pressure and, and kind of being replaced by by ideologues all over, all over the place. And that, that, you know, you go on about Australia being in a similar position where, where, where the, the, the sort of the, 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 the message marketeers are all, all coming from from wealthy uh, vested interests um, and uh, sort of, you know, and then you get into the class thing about how the middle class is being squeezed and, uh, and um, how the, and so on. So it's a very complex thing where you can talk about the aspirational classes as opposed to working class, middle class. And of course, uh, the people who are only people who are making money out of the pandemic, uh, pandemic are the wealthy um, and, and property owners, people who, who are positions of wealth are, are, um, are kind of increasing their wealth steadily throughout this um, perilous time, time of uh, trouble for ordinary folk. Um, and uh, another sign of stress and strain is, is um, with our nurses and our hospital system and so forth being underpaid and things like that. So there's a lot going on. Um, and the more um, independent forms of information we have available to us, the more independent formats, um, the better. So I, I personally make it make a point of, of trying to access as many different kinds of information as possible. I think the longer you spend online, the more dangerous it is. Um, you've got to, you've got to balance that. Um, you can obviously keep up with what's going on, but um, also look around for other ways of getting information. Um, national radio is pretty good. Uh, New Zealand um, radio national. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not in a bubble we're, unless we, we choose to be here. Uh, and and uh, it's, we should not choose to be, we should not, we should not just clump together in their own echo chambers. But, but remember that um, New Zealand is a dem- democracy in which all kinds of points of view need to be heard uh, and balanced out against one against the other. Um, yeah. Okay. Can you read another poem? Yeah, I like it. Uh, I uh, have a, a poem called um, uh, "Ode to Hydrangeas." Okay. Suburban shrubberies, grace notes, and wicker note knots gathered to empurpled perms, petalled bathing caps of a legion of synchronized swimmers, blue in a hubbub. The charge of the light opera brigade towards the best seats, clustered as a violet rinse contagion. Tethers of balloons and delicate pinks, sleepy heads of nursery bedfellows cobwebbed in dreams, powdered white wigs of toffs and swells in a Venetian carnival at dusk, as hazy as clapped chalk dusters, gripped by monitors in old schoolrooms, bubbly as champagne, snipped and mounted in vases on ledges, a bobble of tennis court fans applauding their own cornucopia to garden's very echo, 
pom-pom girls, cheerleaders of the suburban rah-rah squad, amid stridulations of summer, amid lark-soaring trills and bird cheeps, hydra-headed and growing more heads, crouched under masses of cumulus, colours are your confabulations, and flowering in that assumption, you are the crest of the wave. That's called Ode to Hydrangeas. Um, and it was really inspired by walking down uh, streets near where I live and just observing people's hydrangeas in the back garden or front mm-hmm. front garden and thinking about they are really amazing to look at, especially when they're, and they kind of, they kind of look like they're flowering all year round. So they're, they, they, they're, they're, they're sort of a, a fixture of summer, but, um, you know, they, they have this kind of air of permanence, I suppose it's because they're, um, they're, they're such a, a, a popular flower and they're sort of, um, you know, they're in all kinds of people's homes and they um, and so uh, I, I just enjoy them as a, as an emblem of, of, I guess, of collectiveness, of togetherness, of, um, mm-hmm suburbia, um, those kinds of things. Um, so I like writing poems about all kinds of things. Uh, this is a poem called I Want to Write a Poem. I want to write a poem, the colour of paracetamol. I want to write the poem, the colour of Pinot Noir. I want to write a poem like an impetuous kiss, a poem like a sloth, reaching for the last jungle branch before the plantation begins. I want to write a poem like a tightrope walker, between the twin towers, lit up by rays of another sun and a heavenly host of planets announcing God is great. I want to write a poem like a box kite, a poem like a blue sky day, a poem like a nor'wester in summer. I want to write a poem like a rusted car wreck, like a collapsed bridge, like a random punch, like a sly foot tap, like a Maori haka, like a fresh death mask, like peel-off future-proofing, like the smile of a stolen girlfriend, like the scent of ardeur sargesse, like gravestones, like time bombs, fractal geometry, orchestra tom-toms. I want to write a poem like the twilight zone, like righteous incarceration, like the steady pit-pat of the rain. Um, Yeah, so as a poet, I try to be inspired by all kinds of things. Um, and uh, you know, uh, um, write out there on, uh, uh, and be out there writing about them. Um, and, and we haven't got too much time, but I'd really like to hear a report on ocean. Yes. Okay. Well, this is a poem that I wrote for a an exhibition which is currently on at the National Library, and uh, there was to be a poetry reading to go with it, but. Um, it remains to be seen whether that is going to happen, but um, it's about climate change. It's about, um, in particular, about the, the islands like Kiribati, uh, atolls, really, um, very low-lying islands in the, near the equator, which uh, threatened uh, Tuvalu and other ones. Um, and so I wrote this po- about that. It's called A Report on the Ocean. A Report on the Ocean. You want to strip the atoll, drag it all underwater, You want to extend your tidal reach. You want to bring the standing wave ashore, darker tinge of your deeper waters, lapping from crystal shallows and aquamarine, where roots of mangrove forests bend like limbo dancers beneath flow of warm currents. You survey, you eddy, you shuffle, you surround the beach, you lift the copra, 
freighter from its rusted anchors. You drown the taro plantation in its flooded salt marsh. Islands boggle and settle to your brackish surge. The nui falls from the coconut tree and floats out in search of another island. You leave your message in anger at the bigger breach while boys and fuel drums swirl with bottles, toothbrushes, plastic bags, cigarette lighters, tampon applicators, plastic six-pack beer can holder wrapped around muzzle of the dolphin, drift nets in mazy patterns of screen savers, factory trawlers that vacuum shoals of fish through washes of dead water, your weather patterns of wild indigo, your blue starfish, your purple thunderheads, your forked stabs of lightning, your hammering rain, teach and tease and lagoons of your latitudes, your guano islets lie abandoned, your powder white sandbakes glitter, coral skeleton reefs fall away to the sea floor from languid lisp of your breakers. Above you, bony ribs of thin clouds hang, crossed by vapor trails streak, planet smudged to high heaven by carbon, but colossal from your horizon, climbs sun, and the frigate bird glides over the shining mud, the living crab, the octopus, squeezing through rocks, the parrotfish that revels in gentle rills from big waves that undercut the low-lying road and shrinking beach where your tide-beating heart rolls. It speaks for itself, doesn't it, really? Hmm. I mean, how could you read that or listen to that and, and not be in one form, be in awe of the ocean, but also be aware of, maybe a bit fearful of, um, of sea rise, especially yes. in our Pacific Islands. Yes. Well, yes. It's it's. Um, I mean, we live in a sea of islands, as as uh, one commentator has expressed it. We are part of the. Or oh, these are all these southern, uh, these uh, South Pacific archipelagos, and so we experience the ocean uh, all kind of in a similar kind of way. I mean, not maybe as as. Uh, but even when we, I mean, the, over the summer we've had uh, cy cyclonic type weather, credible, uh, you know, storms and things going through. So there's, there's a form of unity and connection in the ocean for us in this part of the world. We've only got a couple of minutes, but do you think that poetry can be a, a sign of hope and a, a place of hope in a long crisis? I think poetry will always be that. Poetry is like natural to humans as uh, speaking and breath. We use <laughs> words um, to make, to craft these, uh, these rhythmic, and rhyming forms, uh, and it's, it's natural to us as human beings. I think we've always had that. Um, the first form of poetry was chanting, and uh, it had a religious significance. And even today, you know, there's a spiritual value to poetry. And so it, it is a form of uh, comfort to us uh, and, and hope. And uh, it goes with, our, with us as naturally as breathing. Um, and... Uh, um, and therefore, it's, it's primarily, or, or I think a primal, primal art form um, and, and a basic one that uh, pre, or precedes uh, other forms like uh, written down 
written down uh, stuff. You know, it's an oral art form to begin with. And then it, um, it's something that, that we kind of, uh, and that I think we can all enjoy from that point of view. Thank you. Thanks a lot, David. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.